the Turtle Tracks podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Scott Hensey, who is responsible for a lot of the toys that uh, you'll remember from your childhood. How you doing today, Scott? Never better. Nice to be here with you, Brian. Well, I appreciate it. I love talking to the toy makers because I feel like you guys are the ones that, uh, I don't know if overlooked is the right word, but people don't know who made these toys. So I, li- I really like sharing that. So I appreciate you being here with me. Well, that's true. Most people, well, now it's different, but back in the day, people didn't even know where these toys came from. They thought you planted seeds or something. They had no idea that somebody was sculpting them. (laughs) That's true. But it's interesting that it's getting so much attention now, I guess, because the kids who played with the toys have grown up. Sort of. Oh, yeah, that's it for me. I I grew up, I mean, I, I, I sincerely don't remember before I was a Turtles fan, although I do remember... Raphael was my first Ninja Turtle. And then, uh, yeah, they've just been part of my life forever. And now I'm curious and digging back as to who was part of every little piece of it. So that's why I wanted to reach out to you. So um, I guess to get started, I wanted to find out how you first started making toys. Well, I was considering myself a art department as opposed to artist. In other words, I was trying to make a living doing whatever kind of art I could find people to pay me to do. So I did all kinds of things. I painted windows. Um, I did screen printing. I did some ceramic ware. And then at some point I got a job at a company that made uh, garden statuary. I was there because I could speak a little bit of Spanish so I could direct the painter. <laughs> Mas azul, por favor, you know. And then at some point, I, I made a crack to the art department. I mean, the art director there said, I could sculpt things, things better than, than these are. And he said, oh, yeah, well, and he gave me a chance. So I started doing sculpture for these uh, outdoor planters and stuff for, I don't know, three or four or five years. Went on for a long time. I was just working piecework, you know, like, like I do today. Um, and then while I was working there, Somebody called me and said, hey, I saw in the newspaper that there's a toy company that's looking for a sculptor. And I said, well, I've been sculpting. I haven't done any toys. It was uh, Tomi Toys. Ever heard of Tomi? Oh, sure, yeah. Japanese toy company. And at the time, this was in Los Angeles, at the time they had a a location in Carson. Um, So I started working there. They hired me because I had this real diverse portfolio, and I was willing to work for a bag of dirt. So... They signed me on, and that's where I first encountered how you make toys, the clay and the silicone molds and the wax casting and the the wax finishing. That's where I learned that. Um, Then Coleco Toys, uh, which was a company that had bought the rights to the Cabbage Patch dolls, they were looking for something to spend their money on. So they bought Tomy North America. Uh, Tomy Japan was still going strong, and they still are, but um, they bought North America. And since I've been technically working for the Tokyo office, even though I was in L.A., they, they closed the, the DMV and dispersed us into the world. <clears throat> and that was right about the time, that would have been in about 85, 86, something like that. And uh, there were a lot of sculpture jobs and not very many people sculpting, which is a pretty cool position to be in. So um, a friend of mine had gone to work for Playmates after Tommy went under. And um, he called me in to do a, 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 a preschool toy called the Huff and Puffs. They actually did produce them, but I don't think they made very many. Anyway, I was bringing them back bringing my pieces back and turning them in. And, and I said, okay, what's next? And they said, well, we just bought the rights to this um, character line called the Ninja Turtles. You know, do you want to sculpt some turtles for us? And I said, sure. But remember, I'm art department. I'll take any job that you got, right? Sure. So I said, yeah, turtles. I was familiar with the, under, uh, the Underground Turtles comic because I was a big comic book fan and underground comics as well. Oh, cool. And the, the, the first Ninja Turtle comics were for grown-ups. And they were, um, I mean, they were a grown-up kind of sideways comic book. And I thought, well, they're black and white comics, and they're not very 
you know, they're not really aimed at kids. And they're kind of a, a, sat, a satirical comic. So I thought kids aren't going to get that. And they they don't have any weapons and they live in the sewers and they say cowabunga and they eat pizza. I mean, this is, this is a real bad idea. But of course I said, great, bring it on. But I asked <laughs> them if I could do bad guys uh, because they looked more interesting. You know, Shredder and the Foot Soldier and those guys look more interesting than Turtles, which were all the same. Or that's what I was looking at at the time. So they said, sure, you go and do bad guy. So I did the Shredder and uh, Bebop, the pig guy, Bebop, right? Yep. And um, um, and the Foot Soldier. And I did a study for the other guy, uh, the Rhino guy. Um, but somebody else did that kind of looking at my piece. Anyway, as you know, once they came out with them, they were a big giant hit. And um, after that, anything that was green and had a grimace, we could we could sell. So we were off making them as fast as possible then. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it started out, we would do drawings and turnarounds and stuff. And then they were in such a hurry to get these things on the market because they were selling great. We were we were doing things from a phone conversation. You know, what if there was a a pizza chef whose one leg was cut off. Do that. Yeah, I have it by Friday. So at some point, <clears throat> I mean, at that time, I was working in my garage. I was just doing, um, I was doing all of them. I was doing this, the drawings and then the armatures and then the sculpture and the moldings and the castings and the urethane parts. I must have been painting too. Somebody had to do it. And I didn't have anybody on staff at the time. But yeah, I was doing all of those things. And then at some point, um, I realized that if I had, if I hired some help, I could get the pieces done a lot faster. And I was getting paid piecework, so that made sense. So I hired a few people to uh, do the molding and casting, and then I hired some people who wanted to learn to sculpt, and I taught them to sculpt so they could help me, and um, kept that going for a long time. Then at some point, I know we're not here talking about Happy Meal toys, but at some point, I got to do Happy Meal toys for McDonald's when they first started doing Happy Meal toys. So I was doing them at the same time. The figure, oh. the Playmate stuff, and the, the Happy Meal stuff, as well as, you know, smaller companies. Because like I say, there were only like, I don't know, 10, 12 sculptors nationwide doing this work. So, I mean, I was, if you imagine this, I was actually turning work away. <laughs> imagine that. I had previously spoken to uh, David Arshowski on this podcast. Did he work for you? Yeah, he was a staff member of mine, huh? Oh, cool. Fact, okay. He may have been the first artist that I hired. I hired hired mold makers and casting personnel. Um, but at some point, I ran into Arshowski at a t- comic convention, uh, comic con, I guess, in San Diego. And I remember he was he was sitting on the steps, drawing drawings and selling them. You know, people were coming up and saying, "Make you know, draw me a bird or something." He was drawing. So I said, "Hey, you want to come?" learn to sculpt and work for me. And of course he had already sculpted. He just hadn't done any actual toys. Sure. Um, yeah. Arshowski, I always thought of him as kind of my, my left field staff member. Cause if we were trying to solve an artistic problem. You know, you would ask Dave and he would always come up with some wild idea that you would never have thought of. Um, it wasn't always great, but when it was great, it was really great. And he was really fast. It was, it was hard to, uh, it was hard to duplicate his style because it was so out there. So, um, so, but he was part of the mix. I had another guy named Steve who only worked in clay. He didn't like working in wax at all. So he, okay. he tended to have him start the things in clay and then the rest of us would finish them. And when I say the rest of them, the rest of us, like I said in my email to you, it was a, it was a sculpture studio. So everybody in the studio worked on everything, really. They were all there to help me because theoretically I was hired because the client liked my style and I was there doing the sculpture. But what I would do is I would assign a piece to one of the sculptors and I would watch them go. And if if I liked what they were doing, I just let them go. If I didn't like what they were doing, I'd take it away from them, give them something different and give the piece to a different guy. And... We would trade them all around like that. And in the end, I would work on them to finish them and make sure they all have the same kind of studio look. So that's why. I remember, I remember when talking to David Arshowski, speaking of left field, um, 
the 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 pizza chef, pizza face. Oh with, yeah, that one I meant. Yeah. And it had this infamous other head hidden under the hat, which right. eventually they did away with. But that's one of the most like I don't know to diehard turtle fans. That's like an infamous sculpt is the the would be two headed pizza face. So yeah, it was cool. There was also something else about that piece. Um, he uh, he has a, a spring in his arm, and he can throw the pieces like discs or like frisbees. Oh! And if you look at the figure, he's missing his pinky. Yes. I don't know why I remember this, but I remember we we did it without a pinky because you know he had a, a knife and he was chopping and stuff. And then Dave put the pinky on one of the pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> the playmate said, "No, no, no human fingers in the no." It me. So they left the cut off pinky, but they took the pinky out. And then they told us the head on top of his head was a was a costing issue. They said it cost too much to make that piece. I didn't believe them for a second. They just they just kind of chickened out on that. It was just too gross. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just, and it was a lot grosser than anything else in the line that we were doing at the time. Sure. There was another piece called Mutigan Man. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that was, um, well, I like to think it was my idea. It's so long ago, who knows? But, um, yeah, the idea was to have his guts floating in Mutigan inside a clear body. What a weird idea. Oh, it's great. I remember, I remember those little plastic yellow parts vividly that just, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a fun piece. Oh, yeah. We were, I mean, I, I never was, uh, I never was very technical. So I was just guessing, you know, I was just kind of measuring guess to make sure those pieces were going to fit in his body. Didn't really know for sure until it came out in production. The sculpt on that thing, too, it was unpainted, but like if you look at the actual sculpt of it, it was just gruesome, Mutagen Man. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the entire, in- the guts and stuff were, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> now, how did it work? Like, what was the relationship between you and... Like your studio, Playmates, Mirage, like how did it all kind of work? Well, I'd like to say it was more complex or interesting than it really was. But actually, I had no I had no contact with Mirage at all. Okay. I mean, none. And uh, Playmates just hired me and all the other sculptors that they hired just as work for hire um, freelancers. Okay. So... It wasn't really very complicated. I mean, I would go in. That, those were the days when you would have to take the work into the company and show it to them. Um, nowadays, nobody wants to see you. They don't see. I mean, I'm not, not even because of COVID. They just don't want you to come in. They just say, just send us JPEGs, you know. Sure. So I almost never go have meetings anymore. Back in the day, it was all about having meetings. It would be me and, you know, five guys from marketing um, trying to talk us into one thing or another. So you weren't involved in those first four turtles, but you were involved in the villains that came out along with them, correct? I didn't do the first four turtles. No, Varner did them. I did the first four bad guys. Right. Actually, the first three bad guys, and then I did early studies on the fourth. And then after that, I did pretty much bad guys for a couple of years. Sure. And then, and then once they were up and running, then I whined. And I went, I want to do some turtles. So they gave me some turtles to go. But we, we ended up with kind of a oh, sorry. Uh, we ended up with kind of a formula for the bad guys. It was kind of fun. Oh, what's that? Well, they would you know after we ran out of characters from the from the comic books, they said, okay, now let's do a camel guy. And you would do a camel, and one arm would be a camel, and the other arm would be a human, and one foot would be a camel, and one foot would be a human. And then they say, okay, now a moose. And we would do a moose the same way. And now an elephant do it the same way. So it was kind of fun. So on the one hand, it was a formula. On the other hand, it was we were making stuff up as we went along. So there was a lot of imagination there. Another interesting thing is that later on, I would see figures that we had designed show up in the comic books and on the TV show. At the time, I just thought it was kind of mildly amusing. Now I realize I should have been getting paid, but... <laughs> Okay. You know, I'm happy, happy to be working. You were saying like there's a certain style to the to the studio. I mean, what went into that? Aside from that asymmetry, just what we're talking about. Like, what was? Is there a way to kind of define what that style was for the villains? Or, um, hmm. what the style was? Well, it was basically mine. Not to sound too full of myself. No, 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 but, not at all. Yeah, but <clears throat> I had a certain way of working. 
which was kind of kind of a, a balls out, make it up as you go along kind of style. So <laughs> if, if you're doing it that way, it's not going to come out symmetrical because I'm just winging it, you know. Sure. Later on, four or five years into it, I had a model shop and four or five guys who just worked in the model shop and they could make me build me armatures and stuff to uh, do the work on top of. And then things got straighter because I wasn't doing it myself. Okay. Um, Dave was the same way though. Dave was pretty much a, just, you know, close the door on him and see what he can come up with. You know, he's sure. a pretty crazy guy. I mean, sculptors are sometimes, they seem to be either way. They seem to be very anal and into every little textural detail or kind of, yeah, it works that way too. It looks good that way, you know? Sure. And the, when you compare the turtles to, say, the uh, Kenner Star Wars stuff or, or even the Mattel He-Man stuff, I mean, they were much, much more studied. They were Hasbro even. They were much more studied and they were looking a lot closer. Because Playmates really didn't have a marketing. I mean, they really didn't have an art department. I mean, they had some artists on staff, but they farmed it all out. So if they were going to farm it to me, then they had to live with my version of it. You know, they generally didn't nitpick them very much. Um, they would they would kind of slow me down sometimes if I was you know putting a second second head on a pizza guy. They would say eh, that's a little crazy there, slow up with that, or um, or if they were getting too big, sometimes. Or I remember doing a dragon once, and I decided that his head should, his neck should come out of his body, so he got even bigger. You know? Yes. And I had to try, I had to sell him on that because that was a more expensive piece to make. Sure. That was a hell of a feature when I was a kid. That hot head's head being pulled out. That was a hell of a head. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was cool. Or, or I did a, a snake. It was like his yeah. body was sectioned. Yes. So that you hold the tail and make it look like it was, yeah. Crazy ideas. And we would just, you know, talk them through. And they would say, yeah, go ahead and try that. I don't remember ever doing one where they rejected it. They would always take them and make them work. That snake, Scale Tail. Oh. Scale Tail. Oh, right. One of my favorite, favorite villains. And he never appeared anywhere else, but it's just a great toy, that one. Yeah, they were they were a lot of fun. Playmates was a, and still is, a, a Chinese-owned company. Mm -hmm. So um, we would make the prototypes and then send them into the company and then they would send them off to I would say Hong Kong like it's the entire nation but it would send them off to Asia and those guys would make them work you know whereas uh, Mattel and Hasbro and everybody else would do the engineering in town make sure they liked it and then send it off so there was a certain amount of freedom there because um, I was used to working for manufacturers that um that would be very close in what they wanted done and they would have a, a plan. <laughs> Playmates didn't really seem to have a plan. Like <laughs> contrast with play. That's, that's cruel. I didn't mean that. They had a plan. I just didn't tell me about it. The, uh, <laughs> the happy meals. See, we're at the complete other side of the story. Each one of those pieces had to be producible for 37 cents each. So the little toys wow. sure. so I had to be very careful how big they were because of safety constraints and, how complicated they were because of costing and they were all very closely looked at as opposed to playmates on the other hand who we would make it and i'd say well i'm not sure how i'm going to connect the arm around this shoulder piece and they would say i just sent it to hong kong they'll figure it out and they always, they always did we did some really large uh insects i remember it was a big mosquito yep and there was a big bee i think yeah killer bee I mean, killer bees, they were, they were like that big and the, the figures, you know, the turtles were fairly big. So the, the figures they were going to ride had to be even bigger. So I sculpted those guys. Dave worked on both of them, too. Uh, and I said, yeah, but we, how do you want to draft? You know, how do you want the parts to come out of the mold here? Because these body sections are big and complex. And they were, and like I say, they would say, oh, we'll just send it off and they'll figure it out. So they elected to make those things out of solid vinyl. If you ever see one of those pieces, they're really heavy because if you saw them in half, solid vinyl, not hollow styrene or anything. Uh, I don't think you could do that and make it pay nowadays. I think the vinyl is too expensive. Oh, wow. I have, but I never realized that they were a different material. I just knew they were bigger. 
Unless no, they're the same. That's my point. They're the same material. Oh, okay, um, I see, I see. They're, but they're solid. Right. And um, um, it just they were making choices just to get these things. I imagine, I always imagined that because they were selling them so fast that the speed of getting them on the shelf was the most important thing. Sure. Yeah. You know, but it was fun. Like I say, there was a certain amount of freedom working there. Sure. That. Going back to those original, those original uh, three or four villains, um, I'm curious, just to get into the, the gritty details, if you happen to remember, uh, I, Bebop has a leg brace. Do you know why that is? I've, always, I've been curious about that for maybe since I've recognized it. Well, <clears throat> when I first started working on Turtles for Playmates, there was a guy named John Handy who was in charge. He later went away and he and he went over to Mattel and uh, another guy came to take over for him and his name was Mark Taylor and Mark Taylor was doing sketches for me I mean we weren't just making them up he did turnarounds for me um it was it was later that we were making them up those first ones were pretty well sketched out so my answer is I'm sure it was Mark Taylor's idea cool. <laughs> those details because I was copying his drawings were really good I was copying them everywhere I could. I imagine he got them from the comic, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, he would do all these turnarounds and stuff for me. Uh, I remember working on Bebop and I was very proud of myself the way I got the shoulders on because each shoulder has a turtle shell on it, like a football uh, yep. shoulder thing. And when yep. they turn into it, they turn into a slot as they go. They're not flat. And I remember being so proud of that. No one ever noticed it, but but I knew it was there. I thought it was pretty good. Because <laughs> I was trying to, back then we were trying to hide the articulations. We were trying to, you know, where the body met the arm. We were trying to hide that line so it looked more lifelike and real. You know, as time went on, we kind of gave up on, on that because it was extra effort. We just <laughs> making sure they fit together okay. The uh, where you were you were saying you did a, a Rocksteady concept was that the big headed Rocksteady that we never got? Right, that one yeah. is also very well beloved. It's such a cool looking design. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I think I did that right out of the comic. I think there's a big Rhino guy in one of the comics, if I remember right. I think the way those were <clears throat> were mistaken is that the because those characters didn't pre exist in the comics, but I think. With whatever the cartoon was doing, they were also sending concepts by guys like Steve Levine and Ryan Brown and stuff like that from Mirage, I think. So those okay. cartoon, but like it's weird because the cartoon and especially those earlier toys, a lot of them don't resemble each other that much. And I guess, like, I mean, what, like, why is that? Why don't they look that much like each other? Out of curiosity. What do you mean? Like the like earliest cartoon, the earliest toys. And what you see in the cartoon, like Shredder's dressed very differently. There's a character named General Trag, the rock general, who like looks nothing like the show. And it's curious, like the relationship, it made the toy line its own awesome thing. But I was just curious about like, is it because the designs changed the cartoon and, and the toys were started earlier? Do you know why that was? <sighs> no, I, you know, I think we were just playing it fast and loose. We weren't well, worried too much about the the source material, you know. It wasn't like doing <laughs> later on. I did some pieces for, uh, uh, I guess it was Kenner. Yeah, must have been <laughs> um, for the Star Wars people. And uh, those guys, I mean, they, they were close. To, I'm in Northern California, so they're close to me. So I drove over there and went inside. And they were, I'm trying to think of a polite way of putting it, they were just very into their, how their stuff looked. Sure. And they, sure. they wanted them all to be very consistent. Even though George Lucas didn't care about consistency at all, these guys really cared as far as the toys were concerned. And Playmates just had a completely different view of it. They were just like, they're toys. Let's not worry about it. Let's just make a toy, sell it for a cheap price, and sure. make another one. One of the reasons I think the Turtles did so well is because they were selling them for, what was it, $2.99, $3.99, something like that? They were clean. They were cheap. So kids could afford them. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still have hundreds of them from when I was a kid, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And just to get into the silly details was uh shredder and the foot soldier kind of had these like awesome cool crazy poses of those original lines and i'm curious why 
maybe that was. Oh, you know, I didn't bring that story up because I thought you'd probably heard it already. But um, Mark Taylor and I were working together on coming up with the the figures. I, I was working on the shredder and the foot soldier at the same time because they were kind of buddies, I guess. Sure. And um, in the comic, the shredder towers over the turtles. He's super tall. He's like twice as tall as they are. And he's very thin. They were kind of do, trying to do a, a, you know, a karate uh, um, body type instead of the muscular He-Man. They were trying to do a very thin guy. So we did this big thin shredder. It looked just like the shredder we have now, except he was standing straight up and he was very tall. And the marketing department said, oh, no, you can't do that. We've already got the blister cards decided on. You got to make them so they fit on the card. So and we didn't want to re-sculpt him. Me and Mark didn't want to re-sculpt him to make him shorter because that's not an imposing bad guy. It's got to be scary. So we just crunched him over. So I just reposed him until he was low enough that he fit on the blister card. Same thing with the foot soldier. That's how he got so crowded and crouched over. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and and nobody said anything after after that. And then later on, of course, like we say, the dragon guy and the elephant guy and, and the giraffe guy, they were really tall. But by that time, you know, we could do no wrong at that point. Sure. And fortunately for me, and this was a rumor, but the the Chinese-owned Playmates folks were very superstitious. And since I had been doing the sculpture for some of the early successful pieces, they said, oh, you got to keep using that same sculptor. You can't use any others. You got to use him. <laughs> and I said, right on, bro. You know, I mean, of course, it was Varner and there were other sculptors, but they were primarily the two studios, mine and, and Varner's. What was the name of yours again? Forgive me. Anaglyph. Okay. Anaglyph, Anaglyph Sculpture. Yeah. A-N-A-G-L-Y-P-H. And when I formed the company, I chose this name because I thought it was very clever. In Anaglyph, if, you, if you're looking at a comic book and you have the two colored glasses and it's making it 3D, the 3D thing, that's called an anaglyphic process, anaglyphic comic book. And I thought, oh, that's clever. It's 3D, like sculpture, but it's a comic. See, it's both. Somebody else told me that the two A's just look like breasts, and that's why I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> mostly, I, mostly I regretted it because, of course, nobody could pronounce it or understand it or remember it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anaglyph sculpture. Now, so uh, Varner did, uh, you said, uh, many of the, the kind of wacky Turtles costumes. Did you, uh, do you recall, I know you did some of them. Do you recall any particular costume turtles that stand out to you in your memory? Uh, they got goofy after a while. Yeah, they sure did. I'm trying, I should have brought one of the catalogs out here. But uh, the goofier turtles. I remember doing some rock star turtles. and Those are great, punk, yes. Punk turtles. Um, and a lot of bad guys, like there was a gecko guy on a skateboard. Yep, Mondo Gecko. And, uh, yeah. He was good. Yes. Yeah. Um, that reminds me. The uh, we also used to do the paint jobs, called them Gecko Masters, um, and they were there to show the manufacturers in Hong Kong how to paint them. But the costs were very, very tightly watched. So. You'd only get, say, I don't know, 20 paint ops per figure. Each time you hit it with a different color, or even if it's the same color, each time you hit it, it that's a paint op, and they count them. So you only get 20 or 15 or something. And we turned in the paint gecko for the Mondo gecko. He had something like 123. Oh, wow. He had a ton. He was really beautiful, but they go, yeah. this is good, but we cannot afford to make this. You've got to simplify it. So, And um, one thing I was going to say about the, the painted samples on the Instagram you mentioned. Um, some of those we didn't sculpt. Some of those we only painted because I had a bigger paint department than the other studio. So, and to try and keep up and try and keep up with uh, the release, we did a lot of the painting. Um, and then we did some of the design work that we didn't sculpt. Like um, there was a robot turtle that we designed, but somebody else sculpted. Um, Oh, cool. I'm trying to think of some others that filmed the Muckman, I think. 
somebody else we drew it dave drew it and somebody else sculpted it um yeah David always come up with these great bad guy names for them, but they would never use our names. The only one they used was one we came up with called Ray Filet. Yes, a, a, yeah. thing, a mantis guy. Yeah, and he had a he had a, a panel in his front that was had a color changing paint on it, and that was at the time when the paint change the color changing paint just came out, and everybody was excited. We we're trying to use it. I remember using that color change thing. It was like the most amazing feature to me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very cool. As I understand it, you have a color and then you paint the the you coat it with the color changing, and then when you put it in the warm water, it goes clear, revealing the color under it. So that's how it's not really changing, it's just kind of revealing. But that was fun. Oh, but yeah, so they actually I remember uh the king shit from uh Playmates actually calling me up, which was rare. And he said, we want to use the name you had on the on the piece, Ray Filet. Can we use it and everything? I said, yeah, sure. Later on, I found out I should have charged him for that. But <laughs> intellectual property, you know. But like I say, I was just happy to be working. For sure, yeah. Just like today. By the way, I am still working. Just in case you wonder, I'm not retired. I'm still sculpting. What are you working on now? Um, well... I was afraid you were going to ask me that. I'm doing a lot of Star Trek figures. Okay. But I'm doing them for a private guy. And he just has me making them, and he's just putting them on the shelf. He's not even going to production. I know that sounds strange, and it sounds strange to me, too. But um, work is work. And sure. he's, a, he's a very wealthy, very famous guy. So he just wants to art direct, you know, which is, you know, whatever. Art department, remember, I'll take whatever you got. So I'm doing that, and then I did, I did a figure, uh, Joe Bob, Joe Bob Briggs, I think was the guy. He was an old TV um, host type guy, and that actually saw production from a company called uh, Plastic Meatball. <laughs> um, and then uh, you know, there's not so much call for action figures anymore because kids don't play with action figures; they play with video games. Uh, don't need sculptors for that. Um, but so I was doing other things. I was doing uh, stuff for a, a Halloween mask making company. Okay. You know, doing various things for them. Uh, and that'd be funny too, because they don't even have an art department. The owner would call me up and say, uh, I need a zombie rat. Make it three inches tall. I need it by Friday. And that'd be it. I'd sculpt him a zombie rat, make him old, cast it. He's happy. Um, Stuff like that. And then I, I did a lot of work for Lennox Ceramics. They do uh, porcelain wear. They do a lot of uh, Mickey Mouses and Donald Ducks and Charlie Browns and Snoopies. Okay. That's kind of fun. They're uh, designing for ceramic wear is completely different from designing for plastic because you're actually not making a toy. You're making a pattern for a toy. You know, you got to make it so that the guy's uh, who are producing the parts, you know, are happy with you. So you've got to worry about draft angles and shrink rates and screw bosses and stuff. And if you're working for ceramic wear, you just you just kind of make the sculpture and then they figure out how to mold it and cast it and take it apart. So it's all sculpture, but it's all fun. And I'm I always feel like my job is to render the uh, the cartoon or the turnarounds as closely as I can. I'm not really there to change it or uh add my own style to it i'm there to render what the company wants you know i mean I, that's real different from playmates because they were they wanted us to think up weird stuff you know which was you know that's fun it's a fun thing to do it's a little bit uh it makes you a little insecure because you never really know i mean if you're rendering mickey mouse and it's done and you know what mickey mouse looks like then it's done right, and so shut up and give me another job. But if you're just making it up as you go, maybe they like it, maybe they don't. Um, you know, and some things are more academic. I did the the uh, sculpture for Playmates after the King Kong movie came out, the Peter Jackson movie. Okay. So I did a bunch of dinosaurs and weird bug monsters, and of course gorillas. And you know, once you do the gorilla right. Then you're just kind of 
rendering in different poses and you know it's a much more comfortable place to be because you you're not putting your artistic self out there you're just doing the work sure. you know but whatever pays i guess i said that enough um you know i'm curious uh just to kind of get to one of some of my favorite toys um there is a kangaroo named uh uh walkabout that came out later in the line were you guys did you guys make that one yeah that was us yeah oh cool um yeah, that was fun. I remember because they would leave stuff up to us as to how to make it work. So I remember suggesting a kind of a side-by-side knee split articulation. But splits like that instead of front to back like a knee usually does, side to side. If you look at it, look in your collection, you'll see what I mean. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then uh, the little guys, they always came with a little buddy. Not yeah. always, but a lot of times they came with a little buddy. Yeah, and ba- back to Arshavsky again. He was king of the little buddies. I would just say, Dave, go do your thing. And that little buddy had to come off out of the mold in two ways. It couldn't be complex. It had to be more simple. So a draft with just a single party line down the center. Sure. Um, and that's that's not an easy thing to learn. And some people can never learn it. Um, and then, so you have to be able to make it interesting. Uh, and and producible at the same time. So if you look at the little buddies, that's generally what they'll be. Yeah, that little wallaby with a, with a bow staff. Yeah, he kind of does all stand in a straight line now that I think about it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at the other ones, too, I mean, let's see, there was a... I always loved the ones he would do. Um, there was a... There was a uh, a bat guy, one of the earlier bad guys. Oh, yeah, Wingnut, with a screw loose, the little mosquito. Right, right. And Dave did a little mosquito. He's a very complex pose, but he, he drafts. Um, and I, I mean, I think I had to show him for the first few times what we sure. wanted to do. But after that, off and running. I could never get him to paint the little guys. They would always just be one color, but kids don't care about that kind of thing. No, no, no. I uh, I mean, I, I the, the little buddies were always these great little characters that came with them and I don't, I didn't, they were always, you know, perfect little sidekicks for those guys. So, yeah, I think they started as accessories, you know, they started as a gun and a rifle and a a spear. And we said, well, can't we do a little character as well? And they said, if you you can make it so we can afford it, you can do it. So, so those were good. Oh, very cool. Uh, Let's see here. I wanted to ask you also, do you know uh, about Scratch, uh, the cat, the, the jailbird cat? Sure. That was one of mine. Yeah. Okay, cool. Which ended up being, I don't, I don't know if you, I'm sure you probably know this, like the rarest turtle figure ever. Well, yeah, I, don't, I yeah, I know that it, it all exciting about the cat with the, the what you're talking about the one with the stripes. Yes. He's, on the, he's, he's in the convict outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember doing it. I remember painting it. Cool. Do you remember anything that went into that at all? Or I don't remember anything too spe- specific. I mean, like I say, that was towards the end of that section of work and they weren't watching it too closely i don't remember even doing any drawings they said just do a cat burglar in a convict suit so bang it out i remember at one of my like brief entries into adulthood when i thought i would grow out of this stuff i (laughs) i had scratch the cat uh sold it regretted it and then bought it back for more money (laughs) (laughs) there you go that's that's a true collector there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had an original paint sample of that around for a while. I don't know what happened to it. When uh, back in the day, we would finish the piece in wax, make a silicone mold, cast urethane resin parts. We would make usually three painted samples that we would call deco masters. The uh factory would keep one and they would send one off to the manufacturing company and the third one they would use for uh trade shows uh, as a sales sample a display sample sometimes they use them in the tv commercials um so what i would do is while the mold was there i would i would cast a a second or i guess it would be a fourth copy for myself i called it a shop copy so i for the longest time i had all these little piles of pieces sitting around and then when we would get real slow, 
I would have the mold makers or the casters clean them up and assemble them, and I'd have the painters paint them. So I ended up with a whole lot of pieces as kind of a portfolio brag wall thing. You know, you know, if you're an artist, you're always insecure about your next job. So I had to have this big uh, portfolio wall because I, you know, I thought that's going to get me the next next gig. Um, and I did actually take some to some trade shows myself and try and get work that way. So I set them all up as a big display. Um, but then nobody looks at your portfolio anymore. Nobody cares. They just want to see your website. You know, they don't want to see close. So I had mounds of these things in a storage unit. So I gave them away or sold them or something, you know. But that would be a good one. If I could just, here's Scratch. You know, if I could just pull that out, you'd blow it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't have to, I don't have too much around anymore. That's all right. You know what? Let me see here. I wanted to ask you about, uh, oh, Casey Jones is another one. Did you work on the original Casey Jones? Yeah, in fact, that was before I hired people. So that was all me. Casey Jones was all me. And he had a, a second head. Yeah, I wanted to ask about yeah. that. Well, he was, they couldn't decide how they wanted to finish it, whether they wanted to do a figure with a face and then make a mask that pops on, or they couldn't figure out what to do. So I just did a head, and then I did another head with a mask on, and they just decided to just go with the mask. Kind of surprised me, because it doesn't have as much personality as would with a face. But I think in the comic book, he has a mask on almost all the time. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. The uh, funny thing about that, if I can tell a story, a couple of years ago, uh, I was invited to go be a celebrity. I was like, wow, oh, well, I'm not really interested in being a celebrity. And this was in a place uh, in Mexico City. It was uh, a show called The Unboxing Convention. I think they had done maybe two or three of them, maybe four of them, before they invited me to come be there. And I was like, well, I'm not crazy about airplanes. And, you know, I don't want to be a celebrity. And they said, we'll pay you. And I said, oh, okay. So (laughs) art department. So I went down there and um, they they lined all the celebrities up along the wall. They had um, they had the guy who played the Gameron guard in Star Wars. And they they had the guy who played Darth Maul in Star Wars. And then they had some people who worked from Mattel. that did uh, the Monster High line. Okay. So there were a few other people. And it was, the toy, the show wasn't a comic con, which was everything pop star. It was strictly about toys. When you said Casey Jones, that's what reminded me. Because they thought, I had only done Casey Jones. They thought it was the only one I'd ever done. I I don't know what gave them that idea. But they made this (laughs) vinyl poster that was probably 15 feet tall. Everybody got one, but mine was a 15-foot-tall Casey Jones figure. Um, and I was like, well, I mean, I'm proud of it. That's a good piece, but that's a strange idea that they, that you know, someone would be that famous for just doing one fee. Sure. Anyway, they, they used that big poster in the ad. I didn't see the ad, but apparently they did. So people were coming in with their Casey Jones figure and standing in line, and I was signing them. And then... When I told them I had done other figures too, they went home and got those figures and came back and got back in line and mm-hmm. signed them. Weird. I mean, I've never signed a figure before, but that was kind of fun. And in, in Mexico City, the thing to do was have them sign it and then they would take your picture with you, you know? So I, there's lots of pictures of me out there in Mexico City with Casey Jones behind me. Out of but, curiosity, that other face, was that based on Clint Eastwood? No, that's kind of. I've seen pictures of it recently. It did. He has kind of a squint. Sure. But, yeah. But not really. No, I was just. I just made one up one day. Cool. You know? I mean, faces are faces. They're they're all. They're all uh, acceptable. They're all different. Sure. So the first one I made was I just took to the guys and said, "How about this?" And they said, "Great." So, yeah. <laughs> I put more time into probably the. The posing. He had that weird bow legged pose with the arms and the wrists and the hair on his arms and stuff. Spent a lot of time on that, really. I didn't realize how, maybe until many years later, how, like, detailed he was. He had all this hair, this body hair, sculpted into him perfectly, but you never realized how, I don't know, I never realized the level of detail on so many of them, too, because they're, you know, so often unpainted. 
Yeah. You know, a lot of the pieces were re-sculpted. Um, I did an alligator guy. Yes. He was huh? kind of crouching over and stuff. Yep. Um, and uh, and he was fine, the alligator guy. And then when he came out in production, I was looking at it, and I was saying, you know, is that really? So I, I pulled out the wax, and I was comparing it. And pretty much all the strokes were there, but they were all just a little bit different. In other words, someone had re-sculpted them. I don't know why. The toolmakers decided that they needed to make changes. And they don't really show unless you tell you look really, really close. Um, a lot happened in production that I, you know, I'm not aware of. Sure. Because I'm here and they're there, you know. Out of curiosity, do you have a favorite, like, crazy mutant character that you did? Hmm. I wouldn't say I have a favorite, really. Some of the pieces were more successful than others. I, I do remember really liking the elephant guy. Sure. Dr. L, yeah. Dr. L. Yeah. There was a there was a there was a famous uh basketball player named Dr. L at the time, I think. And that's why they called him that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I I don't follow basketball, but um that was why. But of course they spelled it E L, so that was the joke. Um uh, I, I remember thinking that the that the foot soldier looked pretty cool after I finished him. Oh, yeah. Because you know, he, he was, uh, Taylor drew him really asymmetrical. His head wasn't straight. It was bump up on one side and stuff. And I copied it pretty closely. And everybody else seemed to like it. So I guess that's why I liked it. Um, and I liked Wingnut. Wingnut, right? The, yes. The bat, that. Right, the bad guy. Because some of the stuff was like, if you look close at his wings, for example, he has he has these big metal wings, and then you look on the back, and he has these little atrophied little organic wings that are kind of strapped onto the back. Yes. And I just came up with that on the spot. I mean, I didn't think anybody was going to like it. I just kind of threw that detail on there, and nobody ever said anything about it. So I said, oh, oh that's the way we're playing, huh? So... Oh, that's that funny because that was worked into his character later in the in the Archie comic books. He had these crappy little wings, yeah, that he could barely fly with, and the metal wings are kind of stacked on top. That's so funny. I had no idea. Yeah, and I liked um, I liked that big grin on uh, Ray Fillet, that yes. big smile of his, and the um, I always like a piece that stands up really well, and that piece had flippers on his feet so he stands up really well so oh I don't yeah know if that qualifies as a, as a favor especially the turtles you know their feet weren't huge so you with the one foot back and all that you always had to make sure you pose it just right without them falling down yeah yeah and that was kind of an ongoing question because when we were doing the star trek figures um they were mostly just guys in pajamas you know all basically looked the same we're trying to find ways to make them look different, but they are basically all the same. But they stood up well because, the, the, you know, the first release, notwithstanding, they were mostly just standing in the universal pose. But years later, we did a line about skeletons, skeleton warriors. Yes, those are great toys. Thank you. And most of them, I did the skeletons. Varner did the humans. And they didn't stand up with shit. I mean, because they were all taking a big step and they didn't have much feet. Not sure. much rubber on the road. But I guess we decided, oh, kids don't care. So I don't know how much kids care. Um, but, of course, you know, after I finish them, they always stand up really well. Sure. And then in production, all it takes is just a little bit of a tweak and down they go. But I always say there's standing and then there's balancing. You can balance a, a, a drinking straw or a pencil. I mean, he balances, but that's not really standing. It's going to fall over as soon as there's a little air movement, you know? So I was always trying to pump up the feet to make them stand up better. Oh, okay. You know, I think that covers it. Um, I really just had one. Well, you know, let me ask you, is there any sort of toy that was not produced that you wish was, turtle-wise? Hmm. I don't think there was any that didn't get produced. I mean, like I was saying, anything that they could put in a turtle package would sell, so they pretty much make them all. 
There were a lot of them that got made that I wished hadn't been made. Okay, give me one. Well, I mean, there were just some butt ugly pieces. We did like a, a, a Nazi pig guy, which was yes, okay. Like, oh my god, I can't believe you want to do that, let alone actually release it. Or there were some other ones that um, the heads would spin around in the body, so there would be a head inside the body, and you push a button, and the other head would pop up. But to make that work, you had to make the body big and bloated and stupid looking. And I was yeah. just always embarrassed by some of these pieces. That's all. I just wanted to complain a little bit. I feel like some of the ones that were like transforming or action features never quite look the way you want it to. Yeah. Well, we were, yeah. You, you, you'd have to start with an armature that was ugly to start with and then decorate on top of that. I mean, it was a job, but it wasn't really any fun. The fun ones were the the monstery bad guys, the gecko and stuff. I really like those. Here's a question for you now, because uh, specifically about those toys. So Bebop, who was the pig guy, um, the transforming one of him in the cartoon, he was black. And in the toy, he was a red haired white guy. And I, it always bugged me. Do you have any idea why that was? I'm just curious. No, I'm, I'm sure it was marketing department. You know, sure. we were all working for the marketing department. So if that's the case, then they get all the blame. You know, I'm not sure. I remember that. Sorry. Well, now, did you work on the, the, there was unproduced Star Wars turtles. Did you work on those or no? No, uh, that would have been boring. Yeah. I worked on the Star Wars Star Wars, but not turtle Star Wars. Um, They'd have gotten around to that eventually. But, you know, the Star Wars figures got, uh, got Baroque the same way. And when we started doing Western Star Wars and, you know, I mean, Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek. Okay. Um, the same way. I mean, clearly they were starting to run out of ideas with the, the turtles and the, there was a line of dinosaur turtles. Yep. And, um, you know, Western turtles and stuff. I mean, they're all fun toys. They were fun to do. I'd like to do some more someday. The last one I wanted to ask you, and I ask this of everybody, even if you don't have one, that's okay. But do you have a favorite Ninja Turtle? You mean out of the four guys? Yeah. You, you may not. That's okay. Oh, I don't really, because I think of them all kind of as the same guy. I mean, sure. oh, oh, what did I just say? But uh, <laughs> yeah, they were they were the same guy with different outfits on. So that's fine. From a design point standpoint, they certainly were. So yeah. You know, honestly, Scott, this is or really, I appreciate talking to you. Thanks so much for being here. This is great. Oh, it was, it was fun. Nice to talk to you. Nice to meet you, Brian. You too, Scott. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Take care. Splinter the rat taught them each the ninja arts. Donatello, master of the staff. Leonardo, the katana blade. My goodness. Raphael, the sonny. Don't this at all, bitch. And Michelangelo, the nunchakos. Radical. Uh, and master of the willing pizza. Hey, who had the pepperoni and ice cream? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. From Playmates.